Hi there, I'm Austin Hopkins. And I'm Haley Robinson. And this is the Wild Idaho Podcast, coming to you from the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the land you love. Each month, we'll be exploring a new topic or current event that impacts the environment in Idaho. Join us to learn about the work that we're doing and how you can get involved. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Wild Idaho Podcast. Uh, This is Austin Hopkins, the Conservation Associate with Idaho Conservation League. I'm joined today by my new co-host, Haley Robinson, uh, the Development and Marketing Associate. Associate. There we go. So close. I know, I tried. (laughs) Um, Hello, everyone. And we are also joined today by Marie Calloway-Kellner, who is the Idaho Conservation League Water Associate, um, who's part of our water team here working particularly with a focus on uh, water quantity in Idaho. So yes. welcome, Marie. Thank you. Yay. I'm very glad to be here in my office where we're <laughs> recording this podcast. Yeah, um, for those who are familiar <laughs> with Boise, the ICL HQ here in Boise, um, Marie it has the quietest office, so this has become our uh, podcast studio. Yeah. So that's it's kind of fun. Cool. It is kind of fun. I like to tell people that. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. That's awesome. A little yeah. fun fact, ICL mm-hmm. trivia someday. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's a bonus, considering otherwise nobody ever walks past this office. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. This is also Otherwise, no one comes more here. More foot traffic, yeah. yeah. An open invitation mm-hmm. to our listeners. If you come to our building, the third floor, also known as the Water Lounge, mm-hmm. um, come up, say hi. We love visitors. We don't yeah. get them that often, but uh, if yeah. you come by, come say hi. Most people don't make it all the way up, yeah. and they're typically winded when they do. <laughs> Uh, well, a, a quick overview of this episode and what we're going to talk about. Uh, la- was it last week that Pruitt got I think it's two weeks. Two weeks ago? I think we're coming up on two weeks. Okay, so, you know, a number of weeks ago, mm-hmm. Pruitt formally resigned. And not going to sugarcoat it, we celebrated. Uh, it was it was a nice thing um, for a variety of reasons. You know, Pruitt was really not a friend of the environment. I don't think that's coming as any surprise. But Despite I, being the administrator of yes. the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah, thank you. Uh, f- you know, so I'm totally transparent here. The Pruitt that I'm talking about is Scott Pruitt, former director of the Environmental Protection Agency. The agency, the federal agency tasked with protecting our environment and our, our health. You know, we breathe air, we drink water. He was the guy who was supposed to make sure that we all stayed protected. Um, ultimately, what kind of led to his resignation was a number of ethics scandals. I think... In the teens, at least, I think he mm-hmm. it was over Maybe. ten, um, you know, and it just became too much, and he he formally resigned a couple weeks ago, and so that night we uh, had some celebratory libations, uh, which was great, and you know, when a good thing comes, you got to take it, especially right now, and enjoy it while it lasts. But the conversation we couldn't help but but kind of go towards okay, Pruitt is gone. But some of these things remain, you know, these regulatory rollbacks that we're seeing, they're still going on. We still need to be on our A game, making sure that us, our members, all Idahoans, all Americans um, aren't harmed from these decisions. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to come in, bring people back up to speed with what's going on, what's being rolled back, what's being targeted, and what ICL is doing about it. and as I, you've probably gathered this, but some of the things we're going to talk about are not limited to Idaho by any means. Um, most of these are federal, national policies, uh, but they're going to have implications in Idaho, which is why we're working on them. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a 30,000-foot view of mm-hmm. what we hope to talk about. We might 
weave in or out here and there. Yeah, and kind of getting started on that. Um, so for people who don't know me, I work uh, with our members and then I also do marketing for ICL, but I'm not um, as entrenched in the policy as either of you. So kind of curious to get this conversation started. Um, I'm wondering what you two view as kind of some of the most serious changes in environmental regulations that happened under the current administration, particularly under Scott Pruitt. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a quick scan of some of his scandals. I know he spent $1,500 on pens at one point, and that might be a sore oh, subject. They were really nice pens. <laughs> Super nice. Don't know what those are doing or if they were environmentally friendly pens, but... You know, one thing I was going to say, this isn't necessarily specific to a policy, but I feel like he stayed around as long as he did, and a lot longer than some of the other, like you know, like cabinet secretaries in this administration and other leadership positions, mainly because he was doing what he set out to do and what Trump said he would do. He was rolling back environmental protections in this country. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that he, I mean, it got to a point where there was nothing, I guess, you know, who knows what maybe was about to come out next. I kind of wonder if it was that kind of thing where like, oh my gosh, what are they going to say now? Like, please just leave before this next thing gets exposed. Who knows? I, you know, we'll, I don't know if we'll ever know. But I think he stayed as long as he did because he was um, just marching forward with this agenda of rolling back protections. And those, and like you were saying, Austin, like that's the, just because he's gone doesn't mean that like the folks that were under him are not moving forward. And there, there's some interesting bits about this too. This is not, we're not really diving in yet. This is kind of background, but so Rick Johnson, ICL's executive director, actually mm-hmm. met with Pruitt, not alone, he's part of a group, when he came to Boise. And Rick's takeaway was, you know, this guy's professional. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's like, we need to bring our A game because he's bringing his. And, and I understand why Rick has that perspective. But at the same time, some of the things, like one of the rules that we're going to be talking about, the science regulatory standards... Um, yeah, why don't you go into that? Just thinking of Haley's question just now. I yeah, mean, like that's a. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll I'm gonna I'll open with this. Or let me give a sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, I was just thinking that was when Haley asked her question. I was like, that's to me like the yeah one of the this biggest ones. Open with the biggest, I guess. So um, the official rule that they're trying to impose is uh, I forget what the rule is called, but it's like transparency in science used for regulatory development. And like like most political things, uh, on their face, they sound good. I mean, no one's going to give a bill a bad title because that would just, you know, that would really screw it up from the beginning. Um, but what this, what this rule sought to do was limit the type of science that could be used when the EPA, when other federal agencies, when state agencies develop environmental regulations. So when you, when you go to, to make new policy, typically folks from all sorts of backgrounds come into a room, they bring all their relative data, all their uh, perspectives, and they say, here's what we think the policy should be, and you kind of hash it out. It's called a negotiated rulemaking. Um, ICL participates in them all the time here in Idaho. Um, and a lot of times what we do uh, being advocating for the environment will bring science. We say, hey, here's this study by, you know, such and such institution, whether that's an academic institution or a government agency. And we say it shows that, you know, pollution at this level harms public health. And so you can't exceed that standard. It needs to be more protective than this. Um, 
So one of the issues with, with what Pruitt was proposing was he didn't want people to use science, be able to use science that wasn't publicly available. Like all the data, you know, the data that I was looking at, Pruitt wanted to be able, anyone to, to be able to pull up that same raw data. And the big, the big concern with that is most, most medical studies, um, they privatize their data or, or anonymous, what's the word I'm looking for? Anonymize. Anonymize, thank you. Um, Which doesn't even seem like a real word. Yeah, I yeah. think I it questioned is. it, but I believe you. Yeah, because yeah. I said just, it. I said it with authority. Yeah, right. Often <laughs> so wrong, right. never yeah. in doubt. Often wrong, never in doubt. Um, so yeah, they anonymize their their data because there there's privacy laws for patients. You know, if you're if you're taking part in some medical study and your employer finds out and they say, hey, like this person, I'm gonna have to pay for insurance. You know, this is obviously one of the worst case scenarios, but. There could be repercussions if people find out that you have medical conditions or potentially have medical conditions. Yeah. So it's it's all private data, um, but for good reason. Yeah, like for to good prevent reason. discrimination and things like that. And um, the you know those studies, the results of those studies, the conclusions are still valid. They're still vetted by peer review by you know um, major institutions review these things and. and put their stamp of approval on and Pruitt was just seeking to, to get rid of all of them um, and really again on some background the motivation behind all this is years ago there were two studies I think they both came out of Harvard but they showed they were the definitive studies that showed or some of the first definitive studies that showed prolonged exposure to air pollution led to a decreased life expectancy so if you lived in an area where you frequently breathed in poor air quality you live shorter lives. Um, and this, they, these studies have been kind of the, the foundation for preceding studies, um, and now they would be gone. You know, you couldn't, wow. you couldn't use those in policy development, which is a pretty wow. scary thing. Um, I, I guess the reason I'm so terrified about this particular one is uh, that it, it has such far-reaching implications. I mean, mm -hmm. this can affect public health, air quality, water quality, uh, ecology, it's it's a scary one to me and then the re getting back to my first comment last thing i'll say on this is when it was noticed when i say notice i mean when they put it on the internet and say hey people were proposing this change you have 30 days to comment on it which is required by law um they didn't do it right they, they didn't have a long enough public comment period uh they're supposed to hold public meetings they didn't have any scheduled and so it's, it's on one hand, you have this A-team coming in and rolling back these regulations. And on the other hand, it's the JV squad who, like, they're noticing things wrong. I mean, just the, the actual procedure, they're really screwing up. So it's, it's just an interesting time. Um, You're right. That's so interesting. I hadn't really thought about it in that perspective, especially since Rick had his got to meet Pruitt and, like, sit around the table in that conversation mm -hmm. and hearing his perspective on, like, this guy's serious and a pro you know but then to yeah to look at like sort of the bumbling behind the scenes of how they're handling it as far as like procedures concerned yeah and I, maybe it's because they're in such a rush to get it done maybe who knows and they're understaffed yeah i mean i think that i i'm not saying this i won't say this with the same authority as anonymized <laughs> because i'm not sure but it is my understanding that there's still um hiring freezes at many of the agencies mm -hmm. wow where, Two years in, right? You know, I think we still don't have a director of the Park Service. That, does the BLM have a director? I think the BLM does not have a director. Wow. Yeah, so like people that are 
you know, that that's a huge part of the problem too, is like the staff issues, the, those kind of resources, not having people to do the work. Do you, do either of you, both of you believe that the staffing issues is a new thing or is that something that all administrations have struggled with, like having, filling these positions or figuring out how to fill them? Like It's my understanding that when, I couldn't, I bet we could go back and find this, but when the Trump administration came in, there was a hiring freeze across the board. And I don't think that that's normal. And um, and then for some of the federal agencies, it's been lifted over time, and for others, it's not. And so as people retire, I mean, it's a, it's a, a purposeful, it's a way to reduce staff. Mm-hmm. And so I think the argument would probably be there were redundancies and we are going to make things more streamlined and efficient. And this is a, you know, a reason like we can get rid of a lot of these regulations and procedures that we have because they're unnecessary. And one of the ways that we'll make sure that they actually do go away is we won't hire the people to do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, those are assumptions. But but I, I mean, I do know there was a, a federal hiring freeze. And then just in talking to a couple of folks who work at the EPA, who I would not name, but just hearing, you know, morale is not good there. Because um, I, I think, like, so many of the working at ICL, we get to work, or, like, working on the policy side in particular, you get to work with so many different colleagues at natural resource agencies, state and federal. And my takeaway is that most folks doing that work got in it because they love the resource that they're that they're working around, mm-hmm. you know, or, like, working whatever aspect of it they're managing or whatever in their day-to-day job a lot of them are scientists that got into it because they're really interested in it and then now they're at the supposedly like pinnacle organization or agency in the united states to protect human health Mm -hmm. and um and natural resources and then just like getting it rolled back and like seeing their colleagues be not replaced and i don't know not having leadership and direction I think this is a good time to interject to you and say we sometimes we use I know myself personally use the term EPA oh the EPA is doing bad things um, you know the EPA is rolling back regulations uh, there are some very talented very dedicated employees at the EPA and um, the, to our listeners if you have friends if you yourself I don't know if this is the case but if you work at a federal <laughs> agency you know especially those who don't work at federal agencies if, if you see someone or you know someone give them a pat on the back they're doing the best they can right now it's a tough time for everyone and and when we say you know the EPA is doing bad things we don't mean to implicate those scientists or, or those employees who are doing the best they can in a bad yeah. situation yeah but this as I just said like no leadership the leadership yeah. I would say like leadership in an opposite direction of the task of the tech they were on yeah which that actually maybe is a good segue to talk about the waters of the United States rule, if yeah. that's cool. So floor just yours. the floor is mine. Okay, I'll take it. Um, so the Clean Water Act is the preeminent federal law in the United States to try to clean up water. And part of whether you know you fall underneath the protections of the Clean Water Act is something, it's laid out in something called the Waters of the United States rule or the WOTUS rule. And... Um, the WOTUS, Austin with this W. Um, so the Waters of the United States rule is basically you you might have to comply with, uh, you might have to have a permit under the Clean Water Act if you meet certain criteria. And one of them is if you are discharging pollutant, pollutants or pollution 
into a waters of the United States. So that's that seems kind of simple. It's like, oh, if you're like sending pollution into a river, well, you shouldn't be able to do that. You should have to clean it up. Like, but it's not that simple, like a million things. Mm-hmm. Um, and every word discharge of a pollutant into a water of the United States, like every word has been heavily litigated over time. And what does that actually mean? And do I really have to have a permit under the Clean Water Act? in order to do what I'm doing. Uh, have you, does this pertain to the tissue test? I feel like I learned about this in school where- I'm not sure. The uh, fish tissue? Or Do fishes have tissues? Yeah, like, sorry, I shouldn't yeah. interrupt. <laughs> you mean like a clean tissue test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. oh, I don't know the yeah. tissue test. Uh, I heard, I would have to look this back up too, but the, at one point, part of the discussion for designating a water of the US was if a uh, tissue could float on it, then the puddle was big enough that it was considered a water of the U.S.? Oh, I've never heard that. I don't know. I'm going to do a quick Google while do you some continue Googling. on. Do you know that? Have you heard No, that? I've never heard of this. I've never I heard know, of um, I know. This is an, uh, another um, unsubstantiated claim, uh-huh. but I feel like in the... Say day, it with authority. Yeah, the, yeah. This is one more unsubstantiated <laughs> claim. Um, I don't know why I feel like a deeper voice is more authority, but... I, I feel like I heard a story that when they were developing the 2015 Clean Water Rule... Someone was like, we need to explicitly say we're not regulating puddles. Mm-hmm. And then someone else in the meeting was like, who's going to think we're regulating puddles? And then That's she- what I, I think the argument was like, how, what, like, what's the size of this puddle? And like the, anyway. Yeah. And, and so ultimately, like maybe the t- 2015, like at some point, this is what I've heard is at some point, like there was actually text in the clean water rule that said, we are not coming after your puddles or something like right, that. And, right, And it got nixed. And, and um, people were up in arms on yeah. multiple sides. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the um, so for the Clean Water Act was established in 1972, but then over time, you know, different rules that, that administer it were promulgated, vocabulary word for the day, yeah. rule being written and put out there and adopted. Um, We're an educational podcast. So, <laughs> so, um, so the waters of the United States, like the definition of what is a water of the United States has evolved over time. But, the, but like in, you know, so many things, you can't contemplate every possible scenario ever. And it's probably not good policy to list every possible scenario ever in a rule. Um, but at any rate, multiple times this question of should this be should the safeguard should this area um have to have or should somebody or an entity or person have to have a clean water act permit in relation to discharging something into this water of the united states or not is it a water of the united states or not and that question went up to the united states supreme court multiple times and each time the u.s supreme court said this is ambiguous we don't know for sure and congress we really wish that you would take a a look at this and give us a better rule of what is a water of the United States. And so that's what happened in the Obama administration. And that's where we end up with what is known as the 2015 rule, which was a, a new and updated and amended definition of what is a water of the United States. And it came after several years of meetings and rule draftings by experts in the field, and then lots of public comment opportunities and and educational phone calls and things like that so that people anywhere could learn what it was and be able to submit comment. And the whole like public process that that we've adopted in this country for so many things. 
um, that impact all of us. And so that's what the 2015 clean water rule or WOTUS rule was or is, is the Obama administration's adoption after several years of process of trying to come up with a better definition than we had. And that was really at the direction of the U.S. Supreme Court. And so then what happens is it comes up and like a lot of things, it's immediately litigated and there's a stay, meaning it doesn't go into effect, but it doesn't go away. But like the courts get to determine what these different legal questions people were raising about it. And then we have the administration change, Obama into Trump. And, and this was one of um, Scott Pruitt's number one agenda items. And they started on it right away. Austin, I'm looking at Austin right now. We have been following this since the beginning of the, well, we were following it before the Trump administration. Yeah. And then we have been working on it, you know, consistently, not all the time, but like there have been multiple opportunities in the last year and a half where we have, we have raised the issue, submitted comments, organized others to submit comments, to try to educate people on what it means, because we were of the opinion that the 2015 rule was a better rule, and mm-hmm. it provided more clarity. Austin could speak to that, because he works more with it than I do. But um, do yeah, The speak? nice thing about the 2015 rule, and this is, you know, to me, it's like after I explain this, I hope people are like, who would be against that? Like, <laughs> someone is, but, you know, it, it it gave us definable tests to figure out whether or not something is a WOTUS. And so, you know, the, the Clean Water Act has, you know, it talks about the biological, the physical, biological, and chemical uh, characteristics of a water body. And so you have these three words, physical, biological, and chemical. So the, the clean water rule said, okay, to test if something's physical or, or biological or chemical, if there is that connection, here's how you test for that. You know, does it pass this test or does it fail this test? And it, instead now, things just get litigated and go to court. And, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to speak down on our legal system, but what's frustrating to me as a scientist is a scientist can, can make those determinations. We can know that we, we know those tests and we can employ those tests. And then it's someone with a legal background who maybe doesn't understand again, not to prop up scientists or put down mm-hmm. uh, lawyers. They, they both have their place. Um, but it's like suddenly you have someone who's not an expert in the field making a decision, gauging the validity of the test that you did. It's like, well, you know, you it's would not ask me, test. yeah, as a scientist to be like, oh, does this legal theory stand up? Like, no, you yeah. don't, I should not be doling out legal advice. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So the status of it now is um, the, I'm trying to think, of, I won't get all the timelines right exactly, but the, um, the Pruitt EPA announced um, that it was, Last summer, they were taking comment on whether or not they should repeal the rule. And then they, at the same time, announced that they were planning to repeal the rule. So it was kind of ridiculous. And um, that's sort of an example of the procedural yeah. um, JV team that you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. even just announcing it that way, it was like, wow. I mean, some people would say, well, see, they're being transparent. They're being very transparent. And it's like, yeah, and not in keeping with the law. But they're telling you okay. they're going to violate the law. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But um, then what happened was this winter, the uh, EPA announced that they were going to add what's called an applicability date to the Clean Water Act rule, the WOTUS rule. And it and basically what they said was it's, I think it was like February 4th or February 6th. It was early February 2018. They said, we're going to add an applicability date to this rule of two years from now. 
And so no matter what happens, because this thing is still in court and we're still, we haven't gotten it repealed yet, but we're working on it. We're just saying that no matter, it can't go into effect for two more years, regardless. Just we're making that up. And so ICL actually joined a lawsuit. Um, we're represented by Earth Justice out of uh, Seattle and D.C., and we're in that with the Puget Soundkeeper from over um, in Washington State and the National Sierra Club and ICL, or joint plaintiffs in a lawsuit, challenging this notion of an applicability date to the WOTUS rule because they made that up. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and But then, sure enough, like while that's out there, exactly what we anticipated just last week, there was an, a formal announcement, um, formal notice, like Austin was talking about earlier, that the EPA, you know, Pruitt's gone, but they're moving forward with their agenda, mm-hmm. and the EPA is intends to, to roll back that rule, to get rid of the 2015 rule, to go back to, the question I suppose is, are they going to go back to just what it was prior, which is actually what we're guided by now, because the 2015 rule never went into effect, and now there's this pretend applicability date on it. But so are we going by that, or are they going to do the whole process that we just did under the Obama administration, where you have several years of stakeholder input, input and involvement and meetings and rule draftings and all of that that we just did as a society mm-hmm. and just redo it. And then that's when you just really see politics and, and policy and, you know, and, and not the best science dictating something, yeah. but instead just politics dictating it. Yeah, I think this brings up, this is a pivot a little bit, but, um, you know, I think ICL's work, a lot of us kind of are behind the scenes and maybe it's not always totally apparent to the outside world what we're working on or how we're doing it. And I think the, the lawsuit we're involved in right now is a great example. Um, you know, we're, we're working away at our computers and maybe people don't know this, but um, with, with the new announcement that came out, that's open to everyone. That's, mm-hmm. you know, we will definitely comment on that on behalf of our members and supporters. But even regardless of that, our members and supporters uh, are welcome to to read these things to feel free to contact us if you have questions and you can submit your own comments and kind of on that vein of thinking I'm, I'm curious with Haley you have a better much better interaction with our member base than we do has has have you gotten any questions on this and if not is there something we could do as staff to better uh, as our communication and marketing associate how should we market these issues? Development and marketing. Development. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> I'm a scientist in the water lounge. You can't expect me to know things. <laughs> I think that, you know, some of the best ways to engage with our members, because most of what the parts that I do for development are, like, managing the mailing calendar, and then for marketing is getting us in front of people and trying to find people who we can engage with. Um, but my part is really, like, finding groups that are looking for a conservation community. And I think that knowing more about what they're engaged with um, or interested in or want to get involved with comes kind of from kind of that in-person interaction. So I think that things like the porch parties and, and, you know, member events and that type of stuff is a really good way to kind of drill down to the specifics of what people are excited about and, and you have questions on. Um, does that help answer your question? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I just, I, you know... To be honest, I, I think what we do is really cool, but then when I go to talk about it to the general <laughs> public, I just see eyes glaze over. I'm like, no one is probably into as regu- 
into regulations as much as ICL staff. Once you roll out that interpretive dance that you have in the works, you'll uh, okay. like, be able to like, capture some I have, excitement. I've been picking up the guitar again, so maybe... Are you suggesting that we <laughs> just start... Making songs? Yeah. Oh. Doing, yeah. Form an ICL band to an talk album. about the work? Yeah. Albums drop in 2019. <laughs> yeah. We're calling it. Oh. Yeah. Haley's our lead singer. Oh, God. Every, I don't want to upset people like that. That would be profoundly upsetting for me and them. So, maybe you. Uh, this will be. I like this idea though. Okay, we'll roll. Singing it. our our work is great. I kind of like the interpretive dance more than. Yeah. You guys haven't seen me dance. But I just think it's. I mean, this is. Um, it, it's interesting to me because you kind of need to. So much of the work that we do on a daily basis is based upon work that we've done over the past number of years. And so it's really hard to just jump into it. But at the same time, I mean, these decisions will affect everyone. You're, you know, when you walk out the door this morning, this evening, whenever you're listening to this, you're going to breathe the air. You're going to drink water at some point. You know, you, this is, this affects all of us. And I, I just, you know, I want to make sure that we're doing the best we can, not only in the comments that we're submitting and the lawsuits we're engaged in, but also working with our members and supporters to make sure they get the most out of, of what we can do. And really, I would encourage anybody who listens to the podcast to submit questions and reach mm -hmm. out to us because we try to make it very clear in all the work that we do from a development standpoint that if people have questions about what we're working on at ICL or any questions about their membership, that they can always reach out and that we're not some monstrously huge organization with like auto response emails i mean like if you give a gift on our website you'll get a receipt but that's about the end of like our autumn you know mm. like we're the people who are writing it when you get an mm -hmm. email in your inbox somebody in the boise ketchum or sandpoint office like wrote it, wrote it and we can all answer like we're accessible group so if anybody's listening to this and has questions about what we're working on they should reach out to us and mm -hmm. ask us because i think all of us are open to that or if you want to hear a podcast about a certain topic I mean, Austin's a tyrant, but I bet he would take a little bit of feedback on what we could talk about. Maybe. We'll see. They have to ask very nicely. <laughs> no, we, uh, we would welcome suggestions because it's, it's nice to know what our members want to hear. So. Cool. Um, yeah. Cafe standards? Yeah. Can speak on that really quickly? Or yeah. Um, I shouldn't say really quickly. We maybe have tons of time. Yeah. Know. We're coming up on the 30-minute mark, but uh -huh. if we keep going, we'll just turn this into two episodes. There you go. Um, yeah, Marie brought up a good point. I mean, there, I think the two that we just spoke of, the science and, and regulatory development and the WOTUS rulemaking, are, are some of the, the, the biggest concerns that we have, but that's not to say there's not other rollbacks going on. Um, another one that we're concerned of, this is especially uh, important here down in the Treasure Valley area, but the CAFE standards, and CAFE stands for Corporate Average Fuel Economy, um, and so basically, this was um, part of Obama's uh, climate strategy, and it said uh, m vehicle manufacturers, the average fuel economy across their fleet um, had to reach a certain point by certain years. Um, and it got, Obama kind of ramped that up, and he said, hey, I, this needs to be even more aggressive. And um, he wanted some of the standards to, to trick on or flip on earlier than originally was agreed upon. And, um, there's a lot of agreement among the scientific community uh, that that's kind of necessary. Uh, air quality and, and climate changing gases, um, you know, it's becoming more and more evident that we need to do more now um, and we can't keep kicking the can down the road. Uh, and so I think similar to the, the WOTUS rulemaking, 
Trump's first day and Pruitt's first day, I think this had a target on its back. Um, the interesting thing about this was a lot of the automakers were, were pushing for this, kind of a, a change in this. And this is a classic, be careful what you wish for. Um, I think they wanted a relaxing of the requirements a little bit. And Trump said, all right, we're getting rid of them all. And, um, and then you saw the same companies asking for to relax the standards to be like, whoa, that's that's not at all what we were asking for. Um, and that's that one. We've, we've heard a lot of talk, but we haven't seen any formal rulemakings come out. Um, it's been a lot of, of tracking what's going on, trying to keep up to date with what they're thinking of. Um, this is kind of a side note, but one of the reasons this is so important is because from, from an air quality standpoint and, and regulatory standpoint, uh, there's a lot of rules that govern industry. So when you're driving through your town and there's someone who makes wisdom-a-dings down the street, they probably have an air permit. Um, and the state or federal agency goes in and says, oh, you have this equipment. Okay, we're going to put you know a scrubber on this and make sure that air your air emissions, you're not emitting pollutants, and you're good to go. And so we have quite a bit of air permits throughout the state of Idaho. Basically any manufacturing facility, any major industrial facility has an air permit. What's, what's harder to permit is our transportation sector. Um, so this is, you know, if all of us who own vehicles, we take them to those, well at least here in Ada County, Ada and County counties, we have to go get mm -hmm. our emissions tested. Um, that's to make sure your car is operating appropriately. It's not polluting more than necessary. Um, we, but short of that, there's, there's no sort of permitting for vehicles. Um, and so the more gas you're burning, that's the more air pollution you're emitting. Um, and a, another kind of interesting thing in Idaho, we don't have any coal-fired power plants within our state's border. So our biggest contributor to greenhouse gases is our transportation sector. So all the cars we have driving around. So this, all this to say, this, this cafe standards is a big one for us. You know, we know transportation, it's a big contributor to air pollution, to greenhouse gases. And it's also one that we can't really get at through permitting. Um, and so we wanna make sure that the most efficient vehicles are coming off these company lines and people are buying them and using them and, and protecting all of our air quality. Um, so yeah, that's that's another one we've been tracking. Um, I know there's other <laughs> regulatory rollbacks going on uh, that, you know, maybe looking at the time here, we'll have to save for a later episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, interesting times to say the least. It is. Yeah. It is. I don't know. Any. So with that, I feel like we should end on a positive note. That was like a downer. <laughs> So let's, okay, closing thoughts. What's, we should all end with a positive note. Uh, positive note, the Idaho Conservation League is full of a bunch of cool people trying to make it um, accessible for Idahoans to get involved in environmental policy. And we have some ways that we try to make it easy for our members or anybody who's interested in standing up for the environment in Idaho to do so. Um, one of those ways is that we have a take action section of our website, which mm -hmm. makes it very easy for um, people to fill out a little form and it'll send off an email to contact your elected officials that helps kind of have your voice be heard two that are pertinent to the discussion that we had today um, one is supporting the fuel um, efficiency vehicles by opposing rollbacks um, 
And then the other is one that is about environmental policy should be based on the best available science, which we also touched on. Um, so if you're interested in those topics and you want to have a quick and easy way to uh, contribute to the conversation, you can visit our website, go to our Take Action page, and fill those out. Um, also, anyone who's listening and who's not already a member of Idaho Conservation League, obviously becoming a member is a great way to stay up to date with what we're doing and support our work, um, and we would value any contribution that you um, are able to give. Um, we're on social media, of course, Facebook and Instagram. We're at Idaho Conservation League, super easy to remember. Um, and then around election time, of course, getting out and voting is um, the most invaluable way that you can cast your vote for your can you cut this part out and I'm going to say it nope, again? No, we're rolling. We're doing it live. <laughs> we're doing it live. Uh, voting is the most invaluable way to make your voice heard. Um, and ICL, you know, doesn't tell you who to vote for. We're 501c3, but we have a partner organization called Conservation Voters for Idaho. Um, so when it's time to vote and if you're passionate about the environment and you need some guidance on who um, has the best track record, then look up Conservation Voters for Idaho um, to find out how you can make the most of that. Cool. Good advice. Good advice. Marie, positive parting thought? I was just going to say thank you all for inviting me to be a part of today's podcast. This is fun. It's fun to be in my office in a different context. (laughs) And um, When we're recording, this is the podcast studio. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So I love that I have this this room that can play a dual purpose. It's also... um, a playroom for my daughter when she comes to visit, as you might notice. There's stuff all over the place for her, including her next generation car seat for when she grows into it, because we have no storage in our home. Um, But yeah, it's fun to be here with you guys. Thank you so much, and uh, yeah. Cool. Um, Well, yeah, I'll close this out with just saying, I think my pot, like, it's kind of a bummer to talk about these things sometimes, but it's nice to talk about them. It's, it's kind of a cathartic experience. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate the community you have here, not only mm. the fellow staff, but all of our members and supporters. Um, you know, we can't thank you guys enough. When, when the going gets tough, we think about those 30,000 mm. people behind us who appreciate the work we're doing, and that really goes a long way. Ditto. So, I mm. totally agree with that. Yeah, it's I, a, I love that I feel like I'm a part of a a family being a part of ICL, not just, not the staff, but being a part of ICL, mm-hmm. the way everybody who's a part of ICL mm-hmm. all across the state and even the folks outside the state. Yeah, absolutely. Are. Um, well, with that, that's another episode of the Wild Idaho podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, next month, you'll hear Haley and I once again talking about something that's going on in Idaho or affecting Idaho. Um, Haley already mentioned this, but this podcast is supported solely by our membership. So to all of our members, thank you guys so much. If you're not a member, go to idahoconservation.org. Click on that little become a member, and uh, we really appreciate all the support from from all you folks out there. So thanks again, and we'll talk to you guys. Oh, And if you're excited about this podcast, then leave us a review or share it or encourage your friends to listen to it. Uh, We'd love to get more subscribers, more people engaged with it, um, and let us know what you think. If you have any feedback, ideas, we're open. Yeah, thank you for that reminder. So we're on iTunes now, and I think the more reviews we get, the better. So, Cool. Well, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time.